hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Hello Mentor. Uh, today's episode was actually recorded via Zoom uh, because of the movement control order in Malaysia. Um, so the sound quality might change a little bit from the usual uh, episode, but the conversations are nevertheless still just as interesting. And we have uh, Melissa Tan with us here today. Uh, she is a passionate eco-warrior who advocates for sustainable living and zero-waste habits for everyone. She forms part of the Green Guerrilla, a green collective in Malaysia that celebrates and shares sustainable ways of living. Uh, she worked with Greenpeace for the Rainbow Warriorship's Southeast Asia Tour and is a long-standing volunteer with Paul's Animal Welfare Society. Uh, she writes about zero waste living and other areas of sustainability on her website, heymelissatan.com. Uh, she made her debut in the entertainment industry, participating on Asia's Next Top Model Cycle 3. And uh, since then, she has been featured in commercial magazines uh, and catwalks in Malaysia, Singapore, and Indonesia. She hosts uh, various programs from sports to tech and was most recently on The Apartment Season 7. Uh, and with that, let's begin. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Um, good, good. Uh, hi, Melissa. Thanks for doing this. We fumbled around with the internet earlier, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> we managed to sort it out. This is the first Hello Mental podcast that we're recording uh, over video conference. So, um, you know, because uh, as you know, Malaysia is in partial lockdown right now, but you know, things got to keep going, right? So... Uh, that's why we're doing this. Uh, so yeah, so so yeah, so thanks again for coming. Uh, one of the uh, one of the reasons why uh, you know uh, I was super interested to kind of have this conversation with you is because I know that you know you you you're a big advocate of like a zero waste movement, which you know we will try to get into a bit more detail uh, later. And I think. Uh, one of the main highlights, I suppose, when you first started moving to modeling was when you first uh, joined the Aegis uh, Next Top Model. Uh, and then you, you actually worked in a corporate company for a couple of years, right? Uh, before you like, started uh, shifting to like, modeling and like, host, like, being a TV host. What, what, was that, um, uh, what was that like, transitioning from that? Because it's so, so different, you know? Um, you know was, was it difficult to adapt? Like, what was that experience like? Maybe you can kind of run us through it. A little bit. The modeling world wasn't foreign to me. I was actually a model since I was 19. And it was always this big dream that I had. I grew up watching America's Next Top Model and it was always like I can imagine myself being there and I really wanted to be there and people told me I should be there but it just didn't happen. So mm. it was years of trying and I couldn't figure out how to even get into the industry. You know how when the door is closed and you're mm. like, so where is the door actually? <laughs> and no matter what you do, you, you can't find a way in. But once you're actually in, then only, you know, like the pathways start opening. But before mm. that, it can seem like a big concrete wall and you just don't know where the door is. Mm. So naturally following, following into um, actual studies and then into corporate, it was more of a natural progression that happened but at the same time i kept trying to find this door in the concrete wall um during university i was in canberra australia and canberra is not sydney or melbourne so it didn't have an active modeling industry um it was a uni town politicians and schools uh like art schools and stuff like that so what I gained during that experience was, even though I was pursuing my degree, I was meeting all these creatives in town, all the photographers and the models, the, the other makeup artists, but no jobs, like nobody had a job because all of it was in Sydney and Melbourne. So mm -hmm. we were all, we were doing a lot of like photo shoots and, and creative stuff, um, working with design students and things like that for no money. So that's what I was doing throughout my, my time in, in my degree. And that experience kind of like emphasized to me that like, I really enjoy this and I, I was really good at it. But if you can't make money out of this, then like you have to be realistic about the situation, mm. you know? Mm. So when I came back to, to Kuala Lumpur, I 
surprisingly, it was still a concrete wall to me. And I got a corporate job and I did my thing and I was, I'm really, really, really glad for the experience. Like, imagine if you're just like fresh out of school and going to the modeling industry, like the experiences you gain would have been different from a corporate. Mm. And in the corporate world, it taught you a lot of structure. It taught, like I, had, I gained a lot of critical thinking skills for my time there. And I am so glad that it happened that way. Like, now that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, I'm so glad it happened that way. I'm so glad that it was a concrete wall mm. for modeling so that I could actually pursue other things more out of necessity. But it brought me back so much now in my current life and how it helps me throughout the rest of my career. Um, so eventually the door opened. <laughs> eventually the door into the modeling world opened. And then at that time... I had four years of experience in consulting already. I was really sad about it as well because I saw the light getting smaller and smaller and I was getting older and older. I mean, people were getting, starting their careers at like 16. I was like 24, 25, 26, 27. Like you would have to be stupid to even think that that was a possibility anymore. So I saw the light slowly grow dimmer. But what I did every year was I still threw my name into the hat. So at about 20, when I was 25, they brought America's Next Top Models uh, franchise to Asia. And then it, it was Asia's Next Top Model. And I was like, that's the door. Mm. I wanted a big door because mm. I couldn't find all the small doors here. Mm. Mm. So I needed a big door to open. So I just kept mm. throwing my name into the hat. And mm. on my last year of eligibility, like 27. Oh, is that the last year? Yeah. Okay. Like that's the absolute last year you can like apply. And then you're aged out. That door opened. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and um, uh, were there things about the corporate environment that you missed though? Like oh, now that you're doing uh, this? What was it that you missed? I had a lot of people that I really respected um, during that time. What I missed was having mentors. Mm. Not that I don't have mentors in, in the entertainment sphere. I, I, I'm very blessed to have good mentors here as well. But I missed the camaraderie of uh, corporate. So knowing that you're always going to see people that you... Uh, given that I actually had a really good corporate experience, like I had, mm. you know, colleagues that I enjoyed being with and then I enjoyed, yeah. enjoyed working with, like, I, I know that's not the same situation for everyone. That's right, yeah. Um, so I was very blessed in that regard. Uh, being able to see this, these same people that you respected and loved working with every day. Mm. Because in my line of work now, I see you today and I never see you again. Or maybe I'll see you like six months later. And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you used to work in like, you work in like big teams and now like, are you mostly kind of working alone? I imagine because there's, there's no real team that you have to see every day, right? I have my managers um, and I have like, I have my, so in the entertainment sphere, I have my managers and then I have friends. But, in environment in the environmental sphere, there's all these other people that we, we we hang out with and brainstorm with and do projects with. So then that's another sphere. But again, everyone has like a lot of things going on, their own things that we're not always focusing on the same project together. So it can be glancing at times. Mm. And I, you I, don't I, see mm. people for a day and you don't ever see them again. Mm. I, and I really, I really get the part when you mentioned that, like, like mentorship is a bit different, more in the sense of in a, in a corporate company, because it's big, right? And there's lots of people and there's structure. And it's um, because there are a lot of people working in corporate companies or there are many corporate companies at the same time. There's always someone you can look to for an example of what to do next. You know, mm -hmm. there's a, a certain level of predictability, I suppose, when you work in a corporate job. But when you're kind of like doing what you're doing now, it's, it's like a, blank canvas right open field and you know there are successful people here and there but no one really has a formula 
you know, no, no one really can say this is what you do next, right? And 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 I can kind of relate to that because obviously I'm I'm running like a technology company okay. now, and you know we have other say founders or CEOs of technology companies, but there are very few of them, and everyone's journey was so different that I can't mm. look to someone and say I can learn from you because maybe what they do doesn't apply to me, which would have been very different if I, you know, if you're working in a corporate company, there are lots of people you could talk to, right? Uh, so yeah, so that that sound that does sound quite different, um, but. Uh, and, and you did mention earlier that, you know, you've always wanted to do modeling and you saw the big door open, right? And then you said, okay, I'm going to do it now. But was it like, um, uh, uh, was there any particular trigger that made you say that um, this is the time? Because was it like the first season, by the way? I don't think it was, right? It wasn't the first season that you decided to join. So they brought Asia's Next Top Model to Asia. I think she brought... It just makes up model here when I was 25. Mm. So I naturally I went for all the auditions. 25, 26, rejected each time, and I and I was like, are you serious? Like this was wow. my last chance. This was my last chance. This was my last chance. And then at 27, when it was like my absolute last chance, and all the um all the conditions were against me during that time. Not only was I older, I was also in Jakarta on uh, an engagement. <laughs> so I was working in a team and we had like a deliverable to rush and everything. And my colleague covered for me and I went for auditions that were down the road. I they didn't even have auditions in Kuala Lumpur that year. They had auditions, but they had auditions in Jakarta. So I think I was kind of placed there at the right time for my first overseas engagement. Oh, so it was meant to be. To, yeah, kind of. So I kind of just rocked up with like, I, don't, I didn't even have heels. I had work clothes on because I didn't have my model basics. It was kind of like, this is really weird. Uh, should I even be here like this? If I don't take this, if I don't try one last time, you know, you cannot say, you cannot even not give yourself the opportunity. Lah. So I just mm. felt like, you know, whatever, just this, do it. This, this is a great story for like persistence. Uh, right? The <laughs> fact that, that you actually tried from the first season and you, you got in like literally as the door was about to close, right? Pretty uh, much. Yeah, Pretty. so it's really cool. What was it like for like auditioning? Like, like, cause so, so for people who've never, like, I mean, I've, I've watched, I've actually watched the season that you're in, that you're on. Oh, was it so, an interview? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, I can't, um, uh, I believe, well, I'm not sure if you, I think I was very married to my wife. I just, well, either she was my girlfriend or my wife at the time. So she enjoyed watching, um, you know, Asia's Next Top Model. And, uh. Yeah, and I just I just decided to join her. So typically, I, I you know I you know I watch on and off and stuff. But it was one of the seasons where I think I kind of followed it almost to the end. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like it was a pretty interesting season. So um, I've always been very curious, like what happens, you know, behind the scenes, right? Like what was auditions like, um, and then once you get through, what was it like actually competing every week? Like maybe you can kind of run us through a little bit. Okay. Um, well, auditions is pretty much where like thousands of girls will go and audition. And if they're only picking 12 girls, like honestly, the odds are stacked against you. Lah. Wow. So what I didn't realize at the time was that they, because it is for TV, you want a story. Mm. And little did I know was that my experience and what everything that I've been through was my story. Mm. So mm. they really connected with it and they felt that the audience would too as well. And apart from, you know, my dying passion to become a model and like um, and my body of work as well. Because by that time I had like a whole book full of like, for, like all the photo shoots I've done and and you know, I knew what I was doing, so I was going to be like a worthy competitor, I hope. 
but it was my story that kind of gave me an edge. Imagine like 27 corporate world. I've tried to be a model for like eight years mm. and this was my last shot. Mm. And I was just really real and very honest with them. So during the auditions even, they, apart from looking at your wall and your book and stuff like that, they sat down and talked to me and they've, I was just human. Mm. And that's what I gave them. So it connected and I think when people tell, like a lot of people have asked like, like um, can you give us some, like, some tips to like how, how to get on and like how to give her whatever and help you be yourself. And it seems like a very amorphous and la la shallow advice, but it was very true. Like I was just real and I just told them my story and if you are being honest and frank about the whole thing, about everything you are about, people will connect to it. Mm. Yeah, so, so that's so, so, so interesting, right? So like basically, you're right, definitely that because it's TV um, and uh, there are lots of very capable models, let's just say that. Right, yeah. like there's lots and lots of very skilled, capable models. But in order for people to find you interesting, you know, you yeah. have to have you have to be like uh, an authentic person, uh, an authentic person yeah. with an authentic story that people can connect with. You know, because that's really interesting. Like, it being just being a skilled model, very often is just probably not good enough, especially for TV. As I imagine, because mm-hmm. you want people to kind of fall in love with the person they're watching and connect with them, right? And and um, and these things are supposed are it's difficult to uh, manufacture. I'm not sure if this, I'm using the right word, right? Yeah, you can't create, that's a perfect right? word for it. Yeah, so I think that that's one of the things sometimes that it, it's very hard to teach people what to do, and I find that's the same with like a lot of different kind of uh, professions as well, right? Like if you, it's kind of like if you're meant for that profession, if you're meant to go to the top of that profession, somehow your story just fits, you know, and, 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 and kind of that's kind of like your path. So in some sense, right, when you first auditioned at 25, like you're never going to get in because that story wasn't quite there yet, right? So it's only when you got to like 27 that that was, that, that was it, like that was the moment, you know. You wouldn't have got in at 26 because the story wasn't quite there yet. And then at 27, boom, that was it, right? Uh, right place, right time. You know, they said, they heard it and they said, I like your story and you're in. So sometimes also, oh, the other interesting thing is also timing, right? I think sometimes uh-huh. people also, right? Sometimes, you know, there, there's a lot of people who, you, who I, I know there are a lot of young people at the moment right now who obviously want to be successful and all that. They want to achieve this and that. But some things just take time, right? Like for you, the, the story only made sense at 27. That's it. Um... So I love that. That's yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> I really love the, fr- the way you frame it. I can see the story producer and you already. It's like wow, we're raising the stakes, and then like, bam, and this is where it works out. <laughs> that's right. That was the moment. Like it wouldn't have worked in any other moment except that moment. You know. So and also for people who are actually listening to this conversation, that's probably what I would say to them or to you. You know. Um, in that, you know, sometimes it might take time for that story to become a reality, right? And it's not completely within your control, but if you keep trying, you know, it will work one day, right? If it's meant to be. Um, I love that. So, um, uh, so I'm going to ask you about the, um, the zero waste movement that you're a big advocate of right now. Um, and um, maybe you can help describe in your own words what yeah. zero waste actually means right what does it mean to be living like this yeah so i was always an environmentalist kid i when i saw something and it made sense i just didn't stop doing it so for example we uh, most of our first interaction with environmental living is the old newspaper man um and when you knew that waste had value so all the stacks of your own newspaper it didn't make sense for you to just throw it to the dustbin. It made sense for you to collect it so you can sell it to the old newspaper man. Mm. Similarly, because I'm an animal lover, I knew that everything that affected nature means if it affected animals. So if you destroy nature, you kill animals. 
and I don't want any animals to die. So from all those different small kid feelings, <laughs> I always had this sense of what I could do for nature, I would do it. Because mm. once you know something, you can't unknow it. If you knew that something harmed living things, would you continue to do it knowingly? And could you then go back to being oblivious to that fact? You can't. So it is a natural thing for you to do. So that's how I, I started on my, on my whole journey from being a kid who then learned about plastic recycling. And once it became available, I started recycling all my plastic. And then how it really brought the impact to me on what we can do on a grander scale was when, you know how during um, school holidays, everyone would get a job at the shopping mall? Mm. So someone, some would like go and be like a cashier or some, most of us went to F&B for some reason. <laughs> Everyone became a waitress during, <laughs> a waiter <laughs> during their school holidays. So that's what I did every school holidays. I just went to get a part-time job. Um, and then I got a part-time job at a coffee franchise mm. that, were, that sold a lot of, you know, those ice blended drinks. And then... I was already someone who recycled my plastic, but when I saw mountains and mountains and mountains of ice blended plastic cups being thrown away by customers into trash and being left on tables that would go into trash, I saw the scale of what we collectively do as humans. And that was a very visual impact for me. So <laughs> to, the, to, the, to the dismay of my manager, I was the a very stubborn worker who would take all these cups in the restaurant, in the shop, and wash them, and dry them, and stack them. And every day, I would carry mountains of plastic back home and then brought them to recycling. Because I could not live with seeing it go into the trash and going into a landfill. Wow. So that's how it kind of like grew from being a, a kid who just like loved news, newspaper men <laughs> to <laughs> this person who was trying to recycle everything in, 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 the, in the cafe mm. to what I am now. Mm. It's so like, um, so interesting. Like, I find that uh, society as in general, in general uh, a lot of people are getting a bit more environmentally conscious. And there's a lot of conversation, you know, on the internet, you know, people arguing what's the right thing to do, etc. But uh, from a very practical point of view, like if someone wanted to start, let's say, you know, someone said, okay, I want to do my part, right? Um, and what's the, what are some of the easiest things that they can start with? Because I imagine it's, it's very difficult to, for someone to like overnight be like, living the ideal lifestyle that is like very environmentally friendly, right? But when they want to start, what are some of the small things that they, people can change that will have like, in your point of view, like a, a, a good impact, right? On, on, on this. Okay. So it is a very, the easiest things always are to reduce your single use plastic relating to food. Mm. Okay. So, you're right, it doesn't happen overnight. I didn't happen overnight as well. And the easiest thing that anyone can start is to audit your food waste. So, when you look at your trash can, most of the waste is actually from food. Because we don't buy a laptop every day, we don't buy clothes every day, we don't buy little knickknacks, whatever, every day, but we buy food every day. So a lot of it is packaging waste that we can easily avoid. So this is things like, okay, yes, you bring your own bag, you bring your own bottle, you bring your own container. The three BYOs, right? Mm, mm. So from that, you can cut maybe half mm. of the waste, the fastest mm. things you can do. Mm. Um, and all these things help you really because when you, what I realized was by carrying my water bottle everywhere, I was hydrating myself more. Mm. when it became a matter of carrying a bottle everywhere, you're always in your mind thinking, okay, I want to refill my bottle. 
counter-refill my bottle. And when you refill your bottle, you start drinking more water as well. So overall, that's better for your health. Um, and bringing a container, bringing a bag is things that can be automated. So once they're with you, you kind of are going to use them anyway. Yeah, so the, the number one thing people always say is, I forgot. I forgot my bottle, I forgot my container, I forgot my bag. So what you do, don't make it hard for yourself. Just automate it. Make it a habit by always just having it in your bag. So then you don't have to take this conscious effort to do it. And that's really the secret to it, to it all. It's not about, oh, it's so much hassle. It's so much, it's so inconvenient. No, not really. It was because you didn't automate the habit yet. Mm. Like my bag always has a container, a bag, uh, and a, a, a bottle. Mm. And my bottle's kind of like always glued to me anyway. So mm. I've never really had to think much about it. And naturally, as, as because I, I live zero ways, if it actually became my fault that I forgot, I just don't partake. Because the whole idea behind zero waste living is that you refuse to create waste. Mm. So if I didn't bring my container, I can't go and buy that piece of cake, which kind of works out for me as well. Like then I don't keep eating cake. Mm. Yeah. So, oh, I, I like how you used the phrase like automate the, was it automate the habit? Uh, yeah. Automate, right. No, no, that's good. Because like essentially it's very hard. Uh, well, it's very hard to change behavior if you've been used to living in a certain way. But by having those three items with you all the time, uh, you the the three items are kind of like signals to you, right, about what you should be doing, right? They're like physical representation of like oh no no plastic cup. There's a you have got a water bottle here, yeah. So so that's good. Like those three. No, so um, what are those three items again? A water bottle, uh, a bag, a bag, right? And and a container. A container. Okay. Oh, that's good. Like, yeah, start with those three things, a water bottle, a bag, and a container. I um, think most people drink water every day and like mm. all the time as well. So a water mm. bottle is like the easiest one, right? Mm. A bag, well, if you don't have a bag, then just don't buy anything that you won't need a bag. <laughs> and, if you, and if you do actually need to buy something, just hold it, it's fine. Mm. And container, well, if you actually forget your container, just eat in, just dine mm. in, that's fine. Mm. Mm. You know, sometimes you gotta use these opportunities to to gain something for ourselves as well. So imagine if you forgot your container. It means it's an opportunity for you to sit down, slow things down, and actually enjoy your meal. Mm. Mm. So there's another question I've always wondered about. Like, um, So those three things are good, and I think it doesn't cost a lot to actually do or bring those three things. Um, but the other thing I did notice was like, if I go to the supermarket, right, and I'm trying to be eco-friendly, I'm looking at products to buy, uh, and not just a supermarket, even if I'm looking for like food, you know, so, um, and all that. I, I find a lot of times, like, um, being environmentally friendly might sometimes cost a bit more money. I don't know if I'm like, um, let me kind of put it in, in these terms. Like a lot of products that are environmentally friendly because they're not super popular yet, right? Like, I mean, there's a movement, right? Not super popular. So they're not produced uh, in mass, right? So there's not, and, and because it's not, there's no mass production of these products. I think they might tend to be like a small premium uh, when you actually buy it like in a supermarket, for example. So, um, uh, and, and because, uh, for people who are kind of on the fence, like, okay, I like this whole environmentally friendly thing, but, you know, I don't want to pay 10%, 20% more to buy stuff. You know, what, what, what would you say to someone that thinks in this way? But is that true? Uh, I suppose maybe I reverse a bit first. Is it true though, like that environmentally friendly stuff might cost a bit more money? Navigating environmental friendliness is very, it can be quite a complex issue. Mm. and people can it's, you know it's easy for people to get confused like, like you say there's this very strong perception that being zero waste or being environmentally friendly is someone that is afforded to only people who have privilege mm. who can afford it, who have a lot of time who have access and I wouldn't want this to stop anyone because it's actually not true mm. so think about all the products that you 
see that call themselves environmental friendly and more expensive and are more expensive. What we're doing with Zero Waste Living is to reduce our carbon impact. And that comes through many forms, apart from being um, marketed as environmental friendly. What the, the best thing we can do is actually to reduce our carbon impact by buying local. So number one thing there was that I noticed from, from what you said was when I go to the supermarket, you're right, locally we have a lot of Locally, in supermarkets, when something is marketed as environmental friendly, it is often something that's imported. Mm. So something that has traveled a very long way to reach us here. And, you know, naturally, it would have been more expensive. It didn't grow in Malaysia. It didn't grow in Indonesia and brought over here. It probably grew in, like, Bolivia or somewhere else and mm. packaged somewhere else and then brought over. Mm. So naturally, that adds cost to the entire thing. So when we buy local, what I mean is buying within like a certain kilometer radius from where we live, going to the wet market, buying vegetables, buying fruits, local fruits, not the avocados that came from Australia, but the passion fruit that came from Malaysia, you know, things like that. Um, all of that brings the cost significantly down and reduces our carbon impact by reducing all the food carbon miles in between. So that's one. We eat healthier because the nutrients are retained longer because there's less chemicals that that is pumped or whatever into shipping that thing from way across the world. And we skip all the carbon miles that happens in between. So yeah. So that's one. Secondly is if something is cheaper, think about why it's cheaper. Mm. If we want to compare food, we have to compare apple to apple, not apple to orange. So if we look at this thing here that says it's organic, it's um, you know grown with people who were paid a fair wage and in environmentally uh, responsible farming methods, compared to this one, which is pumped full of pesticides in extreme monoculture with slave labor. Well, you know, mm. <laughs> like people who are paid like pennies and like, mm. and like work really long hours in terrible conditions. This is why this was cheaper. Mm. And it's also nutritionally less than this one. Mm. So there is a reason why it's cheaper. So you've got to make your own choice as well to which mm. one you want to choose and understand why you're paying more expensive for it. This isn't going to be accessible for everyone, the more expensive version. So how do you make this cheaper? Choose choices, uh, choose products that are local and, and near, uh, choose products that are local, nearer to you and unpackaged options so that we can bring the cost down and the nutritional value up. Mm. So, so, so from my understanding, um, so one of the reasons why a lot of these products are a bit more expensive is because it's imported, but there might be a local version, right? Where, you know, so, so, so choose local, that's one way. Um, and the other thing is sometimes even if it's like a bit more expensive, there is a reason why it's a bit more expensive apart from the fact that, you know, it was supposed to be environmentally friendly, right? It could be more nutritious. It could have been, uh, it could have been produced in a more ethical way or more ethical standards. So, um, it's way more than that. So, so, so for people to kind of realize that difference is quite good. So you're not just, you're not basically paying a premium purely for it being an environmentally friendly product, right? There are many reasons why there's a higher value product. Uh, and that's why it's priced in that way. Uh, that's good. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, and I actually, I'm going to read, um, uh, a quote from an article, I think that some of our, so we, we have some actually research or background a little bit uh, <laughs> before we come on. And, and the quote says uh, that you're a strong advocate of sustainable fashion, right? And you felt that the fashion industry is one of the biggest polluters in the world, right? And I'm not sure when this uh, article was written. And, uh, and, and you mentioned in one of the interviews that you haven't been buying new clothes for two years. This was some time ago. Right, uh, you haven't been buying any new clothes for two years, and you do a lot of clothes swap or you buy a lot of pre-loved clothes. 
So my first question is, do you still live like this? <laughs> the next question is, um, if you do want to live like this, how and where do you actually shop, right? And how does like clothes swap actually work? Huh. Okay, zero waste fashion honestly could take a whole other hour to discuss. <laughs> okay, I haven't bought any clothes in say three to four years, and yet I have an unlimited stylish wardrobe. So I'm using my lifestyle to show people how it can be done. That it isn't constantly buying new clothes, that it isn't that you always have to have a new look, you can create new looks from the things that you have. Um, I want to show people all these possibilities so that they don't reach, the, their first instinct isn't to reach for their wallet. Because when we have a problem, the easiest thing that people do is pay their way out of it. Mm. I don't have an outfit. Buy lah. Mm. Right? Mm. When you put a restriction on yourself, it isn't to deprive you, it is to challenge you. So I told myself, no more new clothes. This is ridiculous. The carbon impact, uh, the carbon impact aside, it doesn't actually make me feel happier. How I discovered that was when I was traveling. So by accident, so as as a when I when I was still taking placements overseas, so it need, it meant that you lived three months at a time in each country. You worked the local market and then you moved on to the next country. During that time, I lived out of a suitcase. A model has to look good all the time. Mm. And a model has no money. So it's not like they can ship their entire house over and pay <laughs> a lot of additional luggage fees and whatever. Right. So at the same time, you had to really make sure you were well prepared within the space of this luggage. Mm. So it, 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 it challenged me to be creative and to work with what I had. And I started learning that I really enjoyed it. Because mm. when I was living overseas, I felt a lot freer. I didn't have stuff. I only had the suitcase. Mm. I looked good every day because every outfit was my favorite outfit. From mm. that five outfits that were in there, I mm. always nailed it at castings because I looked good. It wasn't because I shopped more. Mm. It was because I worked with what I had and optimized it. Mm. And then I realized that moving from country to country because I was traveling so much, I didn't actually like driving heavy luggage. I really mm. detested it. So mm. it incentivized me to even narrow it down, narrow it even more than the space and luggage weight that I had. Mm. So all these benefits were discovered kind of accidentally through the way I was living. And I realized the huge contrast it felt when I went back home. And I saw two decades worth of clothing that I just didn't know how to deal with. You know how everyone always says, I have nothing to wear, but when you look in their wardrobes, it's like there's 400 outfits there. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> Not me, but from other people. <laughs> yeah, especially with women. Especially with women. So I think that's the perception and the thinking that we have to change for people. Mm. To see mm. all the possibilities um, that really should not drive you to spend more, shop more, mm. to make yourself not really much any happier. Mm. And there's some like, I suppose, uh, there's some um, fashion pieces. I'm not sure if I'm using the right word. They're more versatile than others, right? Like, so so if you're, when you're living off the suitcase, I imagine you have to be really clever in how to mix uh, how to mix and match whatever you have and kind of create a new look every day and people not realizing that you're kind of like just working off clothes in a suitcase. One of the reasons why, well, I'm clearly not a fashion expert, but one of the reasons why I like to wear black and white a lot is because I find that, well, it goes with most things. Like I can like mix this white shirt with like beige pants and then a white shirt with like a gray pants tomorrow and it kind of works. You know, like some some tones, like some tones are just like acceptable. So I don't have that many like striking colors because I find that if you wear something that's really striking, it look you look you might you might catch the attention of people for one day, but you can't really wear that again because people remember that piece. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I think of it. 
So I I like I have a very super basic kind of wardrobe. Um, that and do you and and I'm so I'm really curious now. So I imagine uh, you're pretty active on Instagram, and is Instagram where you kind of um, uh, demonstrate how to have this kind of uh, what was the right term? Zero waste fashion. Is, yeah. is that is that the right term? So what I do is. I, I put myself through challenges and share them on Instagram and I share all the ways that I get zero waste fashion as well. Apart from that, I also conduct clothes swaps for the community so that more people can experience the benefits of sharing rather than buying. Mm. So I, I try and... The, the good thing is people respond really nicely to that. People respond really favorably to that because people love fashion. Like, mm. and that's, and that's great. Like, it's great that people love fashion and there's all these wonderful ways we can enjoy fashion and be resourceful with it. That doesn't involve buying fast fashion. So, mm. um, I'm really glad that people are driving with that message and it has been, uh, really fun for me as well because I get the opportunity to speak and share with people on how I do the, how I do this thing. So usually this is through public talks or all the clothes swaps. Nice. I want to ask you about the um, the the green gorilla, um, and uh, it's a a green collective in Malaysia that celebrates and shares sustainable ways of living. So you're a big part of this. Um, could you tell us more about that? The green gorilla are seven people who are deeply passionate about the environment and come from different backgrounds who came together and said, "Hey, let's do stuff together." <laughs> so that's really how we formed. We kind of met up one day. We didn't know half the people at the table met for the first time. I said, okay, let's do this. Mm. Um, the idea behind it is that we're just joining forces. Mm. You know, there's always strength in numbers and you kind mm. of, it's always very encouraging, especially when you're doing environmental work to know that there are people behind you and beside you. Mm. Um, that's how we, we operate. So what we do is really... Um, work with other environmental organizations to support their causes and, and, and do things together collaboratively so that we can reach more people. And we're using our strengths for that. So on our, on our team, we have people who are plant-based, who are athletes, who are zero wasters. And from that, we hope we can reach more of different spheres mm and then join our forces with other environmental organizations to work on projects together. So that's basically what we do. Okay. That's interesting. Are, and are you, um, uh, are you very active in it at the moment? Like, how does it work? To be honest, we're kind of like, I don't know whether this should be off the topic, uh, off the, off the, <laughs> off the we're kind of like very passive about it, but it's also because we're all individually fighting for our own causes. Right, so right, right, right. This when the time is right. So, for example, right. I'll, I'll, I'll have my zero waste stuff, uh, Davina will have her, her vegan stuff, blah, 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 blah. But when there comes a time for when other organizations reach out to us and say, hey, we have this campaign, let's work together, blah, 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 um, that's when we're like, okay, yep, yeah, Avengers assemble kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> okay, oh, yes, let's do this, yeah, you know? <laughs> Because sometimes right, you need to right. call the strength of seven people right, right, other than right. just yourself. So what we're right. doing is building a family that and a collective that we can draw resources from. That, that's so interesting. So everyone's kind of like um, uh, focused on one thing, right? And, and, then, and then together, let's say if, if um, you, 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 you're talking to someone and they wanted to find out about, say, uh, I'm so bad at this. Uh, <laughs> like a vegan, right? How it's like to be like taking care of animals and all that. So then you have someone else that you could kind of talk to uh, within the team. Am yeah. I right? Sort of, uh, kind of there. And it's kind of like sometimes with other environmental groups, it's also a buy one free six kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, for example, the, the previous people with, like the more recent people we've worked with is like WWF, uh, uh, right now, it's meant to be friends of Bukit Kara, but because of COVID, that's that's called off. At, at the meantime, um, mm. so when there is 
stuff that needs to be done, we'll be like, okay, come, let's go, let's go, guys, and then we'll we'll all jump on the project. Mm. Okay. So, cool. So if um, so Melissa, if if someone wanted to kind of like uh, follow you to see what you've been doing or what you're going to be doing, what you're up to, well, where is the best place to do that? Like, yeah, are you uh, are you very active on a particular social media channel or um, or like you know, yeah, I'm not sure. So um, most of my stuff is actually on Instagram. So that's uh, at Melissa Time LH. <laughs> I guess you have to put a link to that. <laughs> and yes, I write on yeah. melissatime.com. Um, so that's my personal website. Um, yeah, on, on those platforms, I share all the ways I live zero waste and all the resources that I can share with people because uh, when you're pursuing a lower carbon impact life, you a lot of it is word of mouth. And a lot of it is us brainstorming together on all the ways we can hack life to live with lower carbon impact. And it's a great way to share and and. It, it brings really good vibes because it isn't a matter of, um, hey, um, what can I sell to you? How can I compete with you? It's like, hey, how can we solve the problem of climate change together? Mm. Nice. Yeah, so 100%, uh, uh, we're, we're going to, uh, if you're watching this from like YouTube or like if you're listening to podcasts, podcast, uh, you see the link uh, in the show notes, so you can just click there. Uh, so we link to like Melissa's Instagram account. So I'm going to move on to like quick fire questions now. Like okay. uh, it's fun. I love these questions. Can I also say one more thing as yes. a as a side note to to that? Um, <laughs> so these are all the people that are in organizations. I just want to say that how every how businesses can can move in towards climate friendliness is for individuals to care in the organization. So what I do is also work personally with people and businesses who want to improve the way they, they, they conduct their processes or do their sourcing or all these other things that they can do so that we can do climate-friendly active. We can, we can improve on climate friendliness on a grander scale. An individual can do this much, but imagine when a business moves together. Mm. So this is something that I want to say to your audience because anyone that wants to reach out to me and to work together on projects so that we can clean up your processes and brainstorm together, I'm up for it. Or to even speak to people so that more people in your organization can get motivated to pursue a lower covered impact. Nice. Uh, great. So yeah, so, so obviously, yeah, you're right. Most of the people listening to this podcast are probably, they have jobs somewhere, right? They're yeah. working in a corporation <laughs> or they're in a startup. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh yeah you can like uh contact melissa if you can and if you're interested to work on something a bit bigger right or something a bit different uh so quick fire questions i say quick fire but you're allowed to think about it obviously so um first one is uh what scene from a movie or tv show uh super memorable to you and left you a lasting life lesson what scene from a movie or TV show was super memorable to you and left you a last, lasting life Okay. Um, these quick fire questions are actually quite difficult. Um, <laughs> they are. I kind of thought about it a little bit. Um, there were, there are two scenes. So, Tears of the Sun, Bruce Willis, where, which is really horrific. Um, because it's a genocide movie. Um, there are very, very graphic scenes in there where people do horrible, horrible things to other people just out of sheer cruelty. And I remember being really impacted by this movie when I was young. I was watching it as a teenager and I watched it several times. I know it's not; it doesn't hold up to... Uh, critical standards um, but it really was a very visual way to demonstrate how humans can be so cruel. So I remember watching it with a friend after I me having several watched it several times she fell asleep and then when she woke up she when she woke up it was during the scene where they were mutilating a nursing a, a woman who was nursing. 
so they were mutilating her and she, my friend woke up watching this and just started crying oh, wow. she had no context of like what the whole movie was about but she was so affected by it and then another one was when marley dies in marley and me and my another friend fell asleep <laughs> when she woke up it was when marley was being put down oh wow so she had no time to build a relationship with this dog <laughs> but just watching a dog die will just cause her to burst into tears so that those two experiences <laughs> just show me how the visual impact of something can really affect someone to change and sometimes yeah. we need very visual impacts to be able to motivate us to do something for me it was peter video peter videos peter oh right okay that's what made me go needless um so then that kind of translated to to what i do now because then i realized people need to see people need to see impact Mm. with their own eyes, eyes before yeah, they might yeah. be motivated to do something mm. Mm. nice i think i think i also think you need like uh friends that will actually finish watching a movie with you without falling asleep it's <laughs> 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 <was> quite funny <laughs> uh next question is there a non-fiction book that you've read um that you believe everyone should read is there a non-fiction book that you've read that you believe everyone should read Oh dear. Hmm. Well, that to be your favorite, but just this, this one. In this day and age, I feel like there's so many book recommendations. Like it's crazy. I cannot read them all, and and the the selections have been so good. My friend Sharita recommended this one to me, and I thought it was really good. It was How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big by Scott Adams. Oh, I don't think I I've like, seen that one. Yeah, so he's the creator of Dilbert. Okay. And yeah, how to fail at almost everything and still win big. And right now, I'm reading that Mark Manson book as well. Uh, something about giving a f yeah. <laughs> you know which one? <laughs> the, the, yeah, the really famous one, right? It's like uh, the covers in orange or something. The subtle art of not giving a fuck, right? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, that is a good. I really enjoyed because it made you feel like not a loser mm. i think in this day and age too much there's too much um yeah because of highlight reels and everything everyone yeah. sees all the rosy pictures and then they compare themselves against it and feel yeah. shitty and shittier about themselves and, and and it's so funny in this area in this new age of boasting <laughs> sharing our highlight reels mm. everyone has all these inner insecurities that are just getting worse and worse Mm. and it's amplified by their environment mm. so these two books were very uh favorites for me they were favorites for me because it gave you very real looks into the mm. journey of a human and how you're not you're not different you're not normal you're not you're mm. not sorry you're not abnormal mm. you're just like everyone else mm. and it's okay and this is what you do to work with your situation to put you to grow you as a human without telling you like you're awesome you're this you're that you know which might make you feel even more worse mm. Mm. yeah no, i love that book I, I read that book and i thought it was a very real book and i think one of the reasons why it's so popular is because like like you said like a lot of people resonate with the message and they realize that oh like we all have the same problem and it's yeah. perfectly normal right yeah. um okay next question What's the best piece of advice? What's the best piece of career advice uh, you've ever received from a mentor or someone that you respected? I've gotten this from several people. When I do it, do it right. When I do it right? Oh, yeah. nice. Don't half-ass it. Mm. Mm. If, you, if, you, if you do it, commit to it and, and, and do it all the way. Mm. Unfortunately, sometimes that has led me to not do it at all. <laughs> but it, it's good to set high standards for yourself. Yeah. No, I, actually, that, that's very good advice, right? Like, yeah. in the sense where uh, I find a lot of times, uh, and, and I talk about the word passion a lot when I, yeah. when I talk, you know, and, and then people, the thing I always advise people about is that, yeah, you can say you're passionate about something, but like, like, 
like um um you know make sure that you back it up with action right like you know like don't just say stuff like that you know don't say oh, i'm very passionate about let's say uh being a model i'm very passionate about say being a banker or being an artist you know whatever it is like yeah you can be but just you have to do it properly and like give it 110 percent right uh there's no point being like an 80 percent player because like mm -hmm. at 80 percent there's no place there's no place for you right in some sense yeah uh, that's good next piece of uh, next question uh this is a strange question i just i just um you're the first person i'm asking this question, this question. <laughs> <laughs> who who is the the third most admired role model you have and why who's the third um, I, I, I ask so i say the third because like typically one and two can be quite obvious but who's mm -hmm. the third you know who's one two three maybe and like why why did you pick number three i guess they don't really have a rank to them so i'm just going to pull someone that's not obviously the first yeah that's a good one yeah yeah that's a good. That's someone that's not obvious. Let's just put it like that, right? Someone that's not super famous, like Steve Jobs, you know, or something. Oh my God! Is that what people are picking for role models? Shit. <laughs> Some I people do, especially if they're an entrepreneur. Many people do. Pick oh people. yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. right, entrepreneurs. I forgot who I'm talking to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I only talk to an environmentalist. <laughs> um, okay, if it was someone famous, it would be. Um, I'm going to give you the Instagram account, Rain Dove Model. Rain Dove Model. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look it up now. Rain, as in R A I N. Yeah, Rain Dove Model. They are not. Um, they're not immediately obvious, and maybe not even my third. But I really felt their spirit. Because, mm. uh, so, I, oh my God, I'm going I'm to mess up all the terms here. Gender non-conformative and, and everything. But they attract a lot of hate. And how they respond to the hate with compassion sets a very good reminder for myself. So in the environment, in, in, my, in my environmental journey and in my other journey with animal welfare, so I used to run a two-year two -year, uh, volunteer program with an, a local animal shelter. Um, and my environmental journey, it is really, really easy to start to hate humans. Mm. So... Rain Dove model kind of reteaches me a lot of times how to act with compassion. So I feel like a lot of the positive role models that I have online are people who act with compassion and who act with kindness despite extreme hate and extreme pushback from the people around them. How do you still respond from a place of compassion? So um, these are very good uh, places to look for for inspiration and to kind of reteach yourself all these things because it's very easy to get jaded in whatever you do for me it's my environmental fight <laughs> mm. and and for them it's is fighting for whatever their causes are so yeah okay nice what object have you purchased in the last 12 months uh that cost less than a thousand ringgit um, but has tremendous positive impact on your life. Oh, less than a thousand ringgit because you cannot have a smartphone. Yeah, that's right. Like, uh, <laughs> I didn't put a price limit initially and everyone kept saying their phone. <laughs> Dude, if it wasn't a phone, man. I, I, cannot, I, cannot, I cannot answer that question because I don't buy anything. You don't buy stuff. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I was looking at it just like, oh, I'm not sure if it's the right question for Melissa. <laughs> Everything new, new that I have bring to my life is secondhand or sourced but for free. 
So uh, you live a pretty minimalist life, right? I imagine. Yeah, I'm an eco-minimalist as well. If we were to put a tag on it, it's actually eco-minimalism because you combine zero waste principles and minimalism to support both journeys. Mm. So, yeah. Wow, what did I buy? I can't remember buying things that isn't food. <laughs> <laughs> I bought, I bought a, a, a clean canteen. Oh, okay, a clean canteen. I haven't started using it yet, though. Okay, so water bottles, right? Okay, I've got to go into this whole spiel about water bottles. Water okay. bottles. Never just simply buy a water bottle. Okay. You wanna, when, when you actually commit to buying something, buy something that's going to last forever. Right. So I chose clean canteen because clean canteen, 10 years, no problem. Oh, okay, Is that, that's a water bottle brand, uh, I, yeah. I suppose. So right, it's my right. favorite zero wasters and it's designed in a way that is uh, kind of user friendly. Because you know how when you when people think, oh, I want to go environmentally friendly, I, I, I'm going to buy a bottle. So they go and buy a bottle and they usually buy it like some, not like, okay, let me just think, like maybe they went to a fashion, a fashion store who tries right. to sell other lifestyle products and it's all cute and like it's laminated in this cute pattern and then blah, blah, blah. It's actually really poor quality and then it starts peeling and then it starts I don't know what happens to it and right. within like six months you're like ew like this is gross like it probably yeah. has like breeding bacteria and things like that and then they throw it away so it negates the entire reason mm. why you bought the bottle in the first place to reduce plastic waste but to also reduce your carbon impact but to produce a water bottle is a lot more carbon impact it's a lot higher carbon impact, but because you use it for a really short period of time, yeah. it's like the damage is higher. Yeah, that what makes sense. Do, yeah, what you want to do is buy a really good one that will last you forever. Hmm. And clean canteen can last a very long time. Yeah, clean canteen is a good option. Like, like some people say, oh, you don't need the branded, the branded one. You can buy a really high quality zebra, for example. Mm. Mm. Stainless steel has a high carbon uh, has a high environmental impact to produce, but so you need to distribute that over a very long period of time. Got it, got it, yeah. right. So so don't just think about like buying something that is well so-called eco-friendly, but if you have to replace it constantly, then you know, you're not going to have the, like you'd be counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve, right? Very much uh, so. Nice. Uh, next question. So if you uh, sort of two more, if you could make a video go viral, uh, if you could make a video go viral and the video carried a message that's important to you, uh, what would that message be? Do something today. Start now. It, it doesn't have to be big, but things accumulate over time. Start mm. now, start learning. So mm. this obviously relies to environmentalism. Whatever it is you think you can do for the environment today, just start now. It's, it's okay if you haven't done every other thing in your life for the environment. But from this one small action, that grows your consciousness of your impact on the environment. So then you can start, other than building a habit of being more responsible, you will start looking for other areas in your life to... Cut, cut down on but it all of this doesn't happen that journey doesn't happen if you don't start now and start today nice right people need to like start taking action yeah 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 i like that like i, I i'm constantly telling people to focus on um what they do today like you know having a, a vision is amazing but then think about what you're doing today that's kind of more important you know because there's a lot of people who like they have big dreams and stuff like that, but on a daily basis, they're playing games on their iPad or like watching <laughs> Netflix, which I do too, but you know, but I, I'm also doing like productive things. So I think a lot of people should, <laughs> a lot of people should uh, realize that. Focus on what you can do today. I think that's very important. Um, so last question, what does uh, the word success mean to you? What does the word success mean to you? Success means contribution. So, not what the world can do for me, but what I can do for the world. 
I know in the end that means that you also have to make sure your cup is full, mm. like you are contented, you are taken care of, so you can take care of others. Mm. So I think that's what success means to me. Whether it's Bill Gates with his Bill Gates Foundation and everything, to a normal person here who talks the local charities. Who's happy? Who who wants to give back? Who wants to help? And it doesn't have to be monetary; it can be with time. So success means contribution to me.、Mm. I love that. So, and also the fact that you mentioned that obviously you have to make sure your own cup is full, right? So I think、um, people need to kind of decide for themselves: what do I need that's enough for me, right? To kind of live the the, the type of life that I like, and then beyond that. I suppose、um, by giving back or contributing, it's a bigger source of, I suppose, achievement or happiness, right?、Uh, in some sense, but you gotta make sure that your own cup is full,、yeah. right? You gotta make sure that that, that you 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 got it covered because there, there's no point trying to. I mean, this is my point of view, right? There's no point trying to constantly say I want to help other people, but if if you're not covered yourself, then it's not sustainable, right? Sure.、Uh, cool. Uh, so thank you, Melissa, for doing this. I I love I love the conversation. I learned a lot about.、Uh, I believe you're the first zero waste person we've、uh, we've interviewed, and also probably the first zero waste person that I've known in person. Oh、uh, really? Actually, I have a yeah yeah. I have a lot of friends who are. Hello, I'm Momo. But、uh, yeah, I don't know anyone who's like really into it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like a lot of a lot of people I know try to do their part by like eliminating single use plastic and all that. But you're the, probably the first person I had a really long conversation with on this topic, and I learned a lot, right? I learned about the the three things that, that I could just carry around that would have a very big impact, like the small things, right, that people can do.、Uh, I also love your your story、uh, in the beginning about、uh, how you know 27 years old was the timing that was meant for you. I thought that was a very beautiful kind of、uh, story, which I think a lot of people need to hear. Right, so you know when the time is right, when you when you put your heart into something, you know it will happen. Right, when the time is right, sometimes it's not completely up to you. Um, so that story will happen naturally. Uh, so thanks again, uh, for joining us, and uh, yeah, so do so. Uh, we'll leave uh links to uh Melissa's profile in the show notes, and uh, yeah, hopefully one day we can have this conversation again. Yeah, definitely. Like, thanks for being like. I know this is separate from the podcasting, but thanks for being open to to having this conversation. I mean, like, I know not many people like would want to talk about waste for over an hour and a half. But so, thank you for for being open to that as well, and and for being receptive. Yeah, cool, awesome. Thank you for listening to the Hello Mentor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit that subscribe button. Whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you're trying to have a great career, or if you want to succeed in business,、um, you will benefit from really, really getting to learn from some of the most inspiring people in Malaysia, and hopefully, you can replicate some of that success yourself.、Uh, we have many, many more amazing people joining us soon, and we expect to release an episode once every two weeks. So again. Do hit that subscribe button to our podcast, and you will be notified when the next episode is up. Also, this podcast is supported by Warp, the leading professional youth jobs platform in Malaysia. So, if you're looking to hire great talent or if you're looking for a new job, do also check us out at warpjobs.com. That's W-O-B-B-Jobs.com. Thank you again, and I look forward. To share the next episode with you soon.